0: Romans 8:18 8, to 23 are the verses we're going to be digging in together today, <clears throat> and I just want to begin by looking back to where we left off because really uh, Paul is explaining, building out a statement he made at the very end of our passage last week. So he says in Romans 8:16 to 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits, or with our spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And then he says this, and this is so significant, so important, provided with the, with the view that we suffer with him, we suffer with Christ in order that we, we may also be glorified with him. So the path of Christ was a path of suffering. The cross reminds us, That God ordained that the way of salvation be accomplished through the path of His Son with excruciating suffering to pay for the sins of all who would believe in Him, right? So that is the path then as well for the Christian. The, The one who follows Christ is one who will suffer in this life. It is a path of suffering and it is one that, that as believers we are not called to minimize or shrug off but run into in faith, confidently knowing that there is glory awaiting us. So he's going to build that out in these verses that we're going to study today. It's really the, 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 the motivation to suffer well as a believer. Why can we suffer with, with joy. Why can't we count it all joy, as James says, when we encounter trials and sufferings of various kinds? Well, we have a hope that awaits us. Glory, even, that awaits us. So, let's look at this. An incomparable glory. This verse is so spectacular. Verse 18. An incomparable glory. Paul says this. For, so linking to what he just says, or because... I consider that the sufferings of this present, age, uh, present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, if you've spent time with Paul for any length of time, you know that Paul is never one to minimize suffering. He, he's not making light of suffering as if somehow he's never suffered. This is a man who has suffered probably more than all of us combined together. For the sake of the name, Paul suffered greatly. His entire life upon conversion forward was was one of just horrific suffering in one form or another. But he says it this way. It blows my mind. He says, the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. This is not just the suffering for the sake of the name. It includes that, certainly. And that may be the forefront for Christians who carry the name. You will bear the reproach of your Savior. That is part of the calling you carry. Go and suffer with Him. Bear His reproach every day in this world. When you obey Him and the world laughs, when you turn from the dark and the world says, you're out of step with our culture." You're going to find yourself on the wrong side of history. And we say, No, I want to find myself right next to Jesus Christ, wherever He is. That is in view, absolutely. But it's more than that. This includes all forms of suffering and trial and challenge. The sufferings of this present time, we have all experienced in part this week. Think of some of these categories. Some of you who have come out of the virus over the last few weeks have experienced a degree of feebleness that you may not have experienced before. Weakness. Trial. Just exhaustion. Frustration with with how feeble our bodies are. are. We are a weak and fading physical people. Our sufferings. This is not how it is meant to be. Dying. Grieving. What Kathy's going through right now. Just think. The weight of loss and weakness and trial. This is not the final word. It is the present suffering that we have. When God created all things and, and stepped back and said, behold, very good. He did not create all of what we see right now physically. All this weakness and brokenness and heartache and pain. And, and oh, some of you battle pain all week long. It is just, it's just like the overwhelming reality of your life is weakness and trial and pain and heartache. I'm confronted by this every time I do a funeral. This this isn't right. Not right. Something's very wrong here. Yet we suffer. The emotional challenge of this present time. The ups and the downs. The surprises. The discouragements. The overwhelming nature of, of just grief and sorrow I feel like we live in a time where the shock value is almost diminished. Things You watch the news and you're like, oh, okay. It's so bad. It overwhelms. Spiritual sufferings. What does that look like? Well, Christian, you're at war. I mean, this is Romans 7, isn't it? Who will set me free from this body of corruption? Oh! Do you feel that? This war with sin. This battle against Satan and his cohort. The enemy of our souls. This fight is exhausting. Relational suffering. Some of you have gone through hell this past year. Loss of a marriage. Children. Broken relationships fought hard for. You have fought to love and heal and, and, and make right and it's gone. Suffering. This is not the way it's meant to be. But it is our reality in the present time. Vocational suffering. I mean, just put, put all the categories up. The challenges of work. Look at Genesis 3. By the sweat of your brow, you will bring forth fruit, food. This is, there, is, there is hard work involved in living. Trial and struggle, especially as a Christian. He, all these people lost their job because they didn't want to get the vaccine. Mandates stole away from them all the labor of these building careers over years and years and now they're without a job because they didn't want to get a shot suffering that's not the way it should be it seems It's not right how do we how do we process this and not just become the most jaded angry despairing people on the planet you have to have a theology of suffering, Christian. You have to. Because you suffer. And you will suffer more. Praise God that He doesn't leave us ill-equipped in this category. The book of Job is one of the most prolific explanations of a theology of suffering as a child of God. The reality is is that the children of God are sanctified in suffering. We are sanctified. We are made holy in the fire. The furnace, like gold, refines us in our faith, in our trust, in our dependence. God will put you in the furnace to sanctify you, to purify you, to break down self-reliance and self Uh, autonomy and, and this independent streak we have as sinners. And He will show you your need and show you His faithfulness and His strength and His goodness to you. He will give you Himself in suffering. It's the greatest gift He can give. When your barns are full and your vats are overflowing, be warned lest you forget the God who gave you this land you see the danger of a of of a life with no suffering I don't need God what what would I need God for everything's good God knows the propensity of our hearts towards self-reliance rather than total dependence upon Him. And so only in the way that God can, He brings trials of various kinds, and He equips our faith to meet us there and show Himself good and glorious and strong. Christian, this is your path. This is your life. It is a life that is, that is given by God to suffering. And... It is the path toward glory. It is how we will ultimately find the release from suffering is through suffering for His name in His strength. Faithful to the end, I will not recant. I will not relent. I will trust Him. Though He slay me, yet I will trust Him. Bless Him. Praise Him. Call out we are sanctified in suffering and we are ultimately glorified through the path of suffering paul says in 2 corinthians 4 16 to 17 these are these are verses to memorize equip your heart for days ahead of suffering with verses like these we do not lose heart believers Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then he says these words that blow your mind for this light, momentary affliction. How can he say that when he looks around, when he speaks of his own life? How can he call it light and momentary? It's the contrast. This affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's the same language he uses in Romans 8. It's incomparable glory. Coming. When you hold it up against, these sufferings held up against what's coming, it's, 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 it's light and momentary. I was trying to think of something Light. And I thought of an ant, but they're not as cute as these. Ladybugs. Who doesn't like a ladybug, right? They're cute. Now, they're, I don't know how they get into our house, but they seem to find ways in. I know they're not coming through the screens, but somehow they come in, and, and you know, I try to kill them, but I can't, so I'm trying to let them go. And, and that's light, okay? A ladybug on your hand. Suffering, okay? Compared to Mount Baker. How much does mount baker weigh what kind of scale would you use to weigh a mountain that big and if you put a ladybug on that scale guess what it wouldn't register that's what he's saying it's incomparable you can't compare the two it's real he's not denying the challenge the struggle it's real but compared to what is coming christian it's light and momentary It's incomparable. It's not even worth comparing, he says. Be encouraged. Mount Baker. The glory of all that's coming is going to come in its fullness, Christian. All the suffering is not meaningless. It's meaningful. It's preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. Now, fallenness and futility. After these verses, he goes on to build this out. And remember the flow. We started with no condemnation. We're going to no separation. Nothing can separate you, Christian, from the love of God that is in Christ. Nothing. No trial, no suffering. Nothing. So with that in view, he goes now to creation. Fallenness and futility. Verse 19, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. This is a fascinating thing that Paul does here. Now he draws, uh, as an example, creation itself. Now in this, we know that he's not referring to uh, angels, for example. Okay, so the the, the angels are holy. They're not waiting for redemption. They are in the presence of God. He's not talking about Satan or, or or the demons. They're not excited about this, eagerly waiting their freedom. No, they hate God. He's not even talking about believers here. He's not talking about us in this. He's going to show us that in in a minute. He's contrasting creation with sons of God. That's us, believers. So what is he talking about? He's talking about animals, rivers, trees, oceans, stars, galaxies, galaxies. That's what he's talking about it's the natural world and when you when you hear these words natural don't think somehow removed from god as if somehow it's 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 apart from god it's happening happening naturally no god is active and involved in all of this it's a personification of nature now we've seen verses in the scriptures like this where the, uh, the, the, the people of God will return and it says in Isaiah, and the trees of the forest will clap their hands, right? You can picture this imagery. Trees don't clap their hands, but in this sense, the trees are anticipating the freedom that awaits God's people. Hmm. Creation was subjected to futility. The creation, the, the rivers, the plants, the trees, the galaxies, the, all of this, this creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Let's consider this a little bit here. Uh, first of all, futility, what does that mean? It, it means without success or unable to achieve a goal or purpose. That's what Paul is aiming at here. It's, it's futile. This world is cursed. By God. If you need evidence of this, then plant a garden in the spring that looks really nice like this. And then just leave it for a couple months. And you, my friend, will see futility. Okay? I have experienced this far too many times. It turns into this, right? Like overnight, especially around here. I mean, it's just like, where do these weeds come from? they choke out the good stuff that you want and they provide nothing except for thorns and thistles and annoyances what is that it's futility it's futility the law of entropy can be cited here in the realm of physics this is a well-established fact the law of entropy all is degrading and moving toward disorder and chaos it is not i just i don't have enough faith to be, believe in evolution completely irrational the the universe the stars the earth the dirt in your backyard is not moving toward order it is moving the other direction how in the world could you believe in evolution when everything around here is devolving You put a a truck in a field and you leave it for 100 years. What happens to that truck? Entropy. It sinks. It rusts. It melts before your eyes. The earth begins to swallow it up. Futility. Hmm. Not just in the small things, but on a grand scale on a grand scale we say natural disasters friends but that does not somehow mean that god is somehow separate god did not just spin stuff up and then walk away and say oh hands off i'm out no he subjected this world that we live in to futility and that includes bomb cyclones hurricanes Tornadoes, tsunamis that kill scores of people in an hour. Earthquakes and everything else. Natural disaster is not a good term. It's more than that. We live on a planet that is beautiful. It's beautiful, yes, but it is hostile. These uh, I, I heard John MacArthur talking about this. These, these environmentalists that want to return us to like the, the dark ages, you know, where there's no technology and humans are basically sparse and scattered, uh, what they're asking for is pain. If you watch Alone, have you ever seen that, that, that series, Alone? You just send some people up into the beautiful wilderness by themselves with basically nothing, they go nuts. And most of them tap out. The one guy we watched the other day, one night, and the bears were after him. And he's calling, get me out of here. I am going back to my house with walls and guns. We live in a hostile world. Winter reminds us of how fierce and ferocious this planet is. It is not hospitable and accommodating why 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 is it this way utility when you look around and you experience futility you have to be reminded this is not just some natural law it is because of him who subjected it it wasn't creation that sinned right it wasn't the trees that were like we hate you god no Or the rivers that were like, we're we're sick of being your servant. No. Something else happened that caused the Lord of all of creation to curse his good earth. This is the answer it is not the law of nature, it is divine judicial sentence. God has cursed this earth. God has cursed the universe. He has set justice on display. Things are broken and we suffer ultimately because God is holy and just and we are not. We are not. The global purpose in all suffering and death is to reveal the seriousness of sin. You might write that down. And when I say global, I mean all suffering, all death, all pain, all cancer, all grieving and mourning and crying, all of it, every single ounce of it is ultimately to show us how grotesque and horrific and treasonous our sin is against the holy God. That's his purpose in this. Now, God can do millions of things when He does one thing. So it's not the only purpose, obviously. From our statement of faith, we believe and teach that through Adam's voluntary disobedience to the revealed will of God, the entire human race, that's us, we fell, incurring the penalty of spiritual and physical death. Let me be clear on this. When Adam sinned, I sinned. I chose that in Adam. I am with him in his sin. We together are culpable for that sin. We share in its in its damage and we share in its offense. We incurred the penalty of spiritual and physical death becoming subject to the righteous wrath of God towards sin. It's part of the curse. All humans are therefore guilty sinners by nature, choice, and divine declaration, inherently and totally depraved, lifeless, spiritually dead, enslaved to sin, darkened in understanding, alienated from the life of God through ignorance, hardened in heart, morally and spiritually dead in trespasses and sins, and facing eternal conscious torment in hell, unable to see or enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again of, of, of the Holy Spirit. Because of man's sin and rebellion, listen to what what we finish this statement with. God also subjected creation to futility. There's our passage. Allowing adversity and suffering to serve as a constant reminder of man's sinful condition and need for salvation. It's a megaphone of our desperate need before a holy God, suffering in all its forms. We live in a land cursed by God. You see how silly it is to say, well, there is no God. You see how silly it is to say that we are just evolved from some primordial slime. You see how consistent it is with sin to deny the very God under whose judgment we live day after day. That's not surprising. That's expected. The curse of God. There's good news, though. Good news. The verse doesn't end there. Note the last two words in this verse. The last two words. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Look at the verse change there. The verse change happens after hope. That is purposeful, friends. It's beautiful. The one who subjected this land to futility did so in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of god oh man this is awesome and when you see that word hope don't think somehow god is passive and and wringing his fists and hoping oh i hope it works out i i I set it up and i'm hoping that it all kind of goes the way i'm hoping no This is hope that is sure. It it has the view to redemption. He subjects it to futility under a curse in Genesis 3. Knowing full well that this is all part of the plan and that through Jesus Christ, the children of God will be redeemed and when they are brought to glory, this earth will be released from bondage. From the bondage to corruption and futility. The revealing of the sons of God and the release of creation. Don't miss the order. Sometimes we get this reversed, don't we? Sometimes we think, I just can't wait until I can see a rose the way it was originally meant to be, without those thorns, right? Sometimes we look at all of the beauty of the earth and we say, I just want to see that happen. Make it happen, Lord. And we're getting the order reversed. What happens first in this equation? The revealing of the sons of glory. It is the the raising and glorification of God's people that comes first. And that's what creation eagerly anticipates. So if you can think trees clapping their hands, what are they clapping about? They're clapping about the redemption of sinners. Because it marks their release to celebrate the glory of God who saves Sinners. Reminds me of my uncle's build-out of all of what the atonement means. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't simply pay for, not the potential, but the actual sins of all who will believe in him. That's not it. That's not the full extent of what he accomplished on the cross. He also also accomplished the, the freedom of creation and the release of the bondage of the curse. That God had placed on this earth. That is another accomplishment of Christ. And just so we're clear, all of this points to Christ. It all hinges upon Christ. As we know, as we've read in these verses already, everything Paul's saying points us back to Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, then you are still under wrath. You are under the curse in your own body. You face judgment, but you can come. In faith, run to Jesus and be forgiven of your sins and set free, given life in the Spirit to be a child of God with a guaranteed and certain future that someday you will be set free and that when you are set free, all of creation will will follow. Labor pains, verse 22 And 23, labor pains. Paul brings creation down to meet us today. For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And Kinsey, you know this, right? Literally, Wednesday. How in the world are you in church already? That's amazing. Labor pains. Okay? Us guys, we... By the grace of God, that's not part of our curse. I'm grateful for that. Thank you, ladies, moms, for for, for enduring what you have. What's true of labor pain? They hurt. They're hard. they, They come in waves, don't they? But they produce the most beautiful, precious gift of God. There's, there's not just pain. There's celebration at the end of pain. And that's what we have. Not only the creation, Paul says, but we ourselves who have, we have already the first fruits of the Spirit. We have Him within us. We, Christians, we groan inwardly. As we wait eagerly, For adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So last week we talked about adoption, right? We are already adopted. We are His children. It's it's true. It's it's already. But there is a sense in which we are not fully yet adopted because our bodies are still, as we know, especially this past couple weeks, fading to glory. We are still frail and weak. Our bodies are yet to be made whole. So our inner man, renewed every day in the power of the Spirit. We have the seal of our future. It's coming and it's sure, but it's not yet. Not yet. And while we live in the not yet, we groan. We groan because we suffer. We eagerly wait for the redemption of our bodies. Hmm. The groan of creation and the groan of the Christian. The groan of creation can be heard in that low rumble of the hurricane. In the crash of the tsunami waves. In the shaking of the earth. In the volcano going off. In the dying of a rabbit. Think of that. Think of that. When a rabbit dies, that squeal. We have coyotes behind our house every now and then. You hear this. And I'm reminded, creation is groaning. There's labor pains. We're not there yet. The lion is not laying in peace next to the lamb. He's still eating the lamb. But we also groan. We also groan. Just because we're saved. Because we have Christ, just because we are not facing condemnation doesn't mean we don't hurt or have our hearts just shredded. God is close to the brokenhearted. He binds up their womb. We have a God who, who treasures and meets us in our darkest, weakest place when we run to Him for help. Are you groaning today, Christian? This groan is a fascinating word. It's, it's, it's like this, this audible pain. It's an audible pain. Uh, uh, uh. It's the noise that I made when I heard Neil passed away. That hurts. It's hard. And Kathy's in the hospital with COVID, struggling with all, all at the same time. Oh, man! That groan will end someday. Someday. No more of that. We will be free. We have the first fruits already but we wait for the redemption of our bodies. George is back here again this week. Praise God. I, uh, I'm in awe of God's grace in that man's life. We are fading toward glory, all of us. All of us. Death is certain. It's coming for us. We are not condemned in death. We are forgiven. So we don't fear death. We don't fear death one of the reasons why christians can be so prolific in pandemics we're not afraid of death it's not the worst thing that can happen the worst thing is that people die without the gospel which is why these doors are open the redemption of our bodies is coming it's coming our response Christian you are being sanctified today by the God who loves you who is your father he is sanctifying you by bringing into your life allowing into your life trials of various kinds and you can count it all joy because God's greatest commitment to you is not your happiness it's your holiness His greatest longing for you, Christian, is that you be holy. And He knows that that's when you'll be most happy. He is glorified in our suffering and we ultimately will be glorified through suffering. So, we groan today, but with eager hope. I I love this, this combination of words. Eager hope. It's like patient impatience right it's eager waiting like like a horse in the in in the chute waiting for the race we're just oh man let me out of here i can't wait to run i am going to shred this track it's like that we groan while we wait open those gates lord come back redeem us release us that's how we make it through suffering as we have a focus on what is coming. And So, jumping forward to Romans 12, verses 12 and 15. Christian, rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And be constant in prayer. And we're not alone, right? Look at this part. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's part of our unity, our bond. We're together in this. These days, this pain, we share in it together. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. We know the groan, the inward and, and even audible pain that we feel. We know weakness and heartache And loss and devastation. We know as we just even turn on the news, all of what is wrong, it's just overwhelming, Lord. This world is under your curse. And yet we find ourselves today forgiven, alive, no condemnation in Christ. And yet, We struggle and we suffer and we hurt. And so in that, Lord, we thank you for the the Mount Baker of glory that is coming to meet us in this light and momentary affliction. Equip us, Lord, to suffer well for your glory. Call us from the deepest place of our pain to turn to you, not from you. Run to you, cling to you, hold you. Even with the most feeble of grip. Thank you for your promise that there is no condemnation and that there will be no separating us from your love, no matter what comes. Not tribulation, not heartache. Lord, we we thank you that all of this comes together in Jesus Christ. He is the focal point of all of this work. Jesus, we thank you for saving us. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love. We live for you, and we die for you. For your glory, in your name, amen.